0: We've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up for almost 50 years. All year, cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, it is April, and then you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at All Year. He is the owner. He's been the owner. He and his family for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues. And they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up very professional they do a great job and then i'm good to go for months and months and years they're incredible in fact if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day no one in south florida can guarantee that they offer up to 60 month financing and remember i personally use all year cooling and tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years you call him you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer Don't wait till June, till it breaks down. You have to do it now. Call 866-381-3554. Or while you're listening to this podcast, take your phone out. Go to their website, allyearcooling.com. Click on the Call Now button. You'll get connected directly to them. And by the way, my friend, the owner, Tommy Smith, you can text him directly from your phone from the website right now, and he'll set you up. All Year Cooling is my personal place to go. They keep my home cool. They keep my family cool for more than a decade. The number, again, 866-381-3554.
1: Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to a actually very special episode. I know I always say very special episode, but we've got a birthday in the house this week on Swings and Mishes. It's Craig Mishes' 29th birthday, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Craig, happy birthday. I can't
0: believe I'm going to be 30 next year. That is crazy. (laughs) I'll be, uh, I am today on this Thursday as we record April 18th, 46 years old. So, yeah, I know that feels old when I say it, Jeremy, but you (laughs) will be there one day and I will remind you of that and you will be there. But the, the good news is, is that I feel very fortunate to have a great family and great friends. And Jeremy, you've done a great job with me here on this podcast. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that certainly look at life half empty or half full. And, you know, not everybody is as fortunate to be in the position that I am, but I feel very fortunate to have everything family wise and professionally wise in a very good place here. So uh, thank you for everyone who has wished me a happy birthday for sure. And we will uh, continue to try and do the best job we possibly can on this podcast, hopefully uh, in the future too. So thank you very much for all the well wishes.
1: Well, thank you, Craig. I appreciate the, the kind words there too. And uh, now to the fun stuff. Yeah. Now we get to talk about the, (laughs) the ever present and incredibly fun birthday present that is the, Miami Marlins. The Marlins now have lost 13 of 15 games. They've been shut out five times in that span back to back by the Cubs headed into today. Their worst season ever. They had a four and 16 start or one away from that type of start now in terms of their worst start ever. Well, I, where do we go from here? What What is your assessment thus far of the Marlins? Does this hit expectations? I mean, I know we didn't expect much, but
0: but what do we think of what this start has been like for the Marlins? I think we should just talk about the ballpark enhancements for the time being. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think that there are different ways that you can lose 100 games. I think that this potentially could have been a way where the team could lose 100-plus and it'd still be okay because part of that, as I've talked about on this podcast, before we started the season mm-hmm. was that I expected the games to be quick because they were not going to score a lot on offense, and that was said here. But at the same time, I did not expect, and I know for a fact, that the team did not expect the offense to play this poorly that I know for sure. And again, luckily for me in this, I'm able to speak to different people within the organization and get different opinions and find out these things. And, and look, you can laugh that off and you can say, look at the lineup, but there is no doubt in my mind that they expect it to be better than they, than what they have been. That is up to interpretation. For everyone listening to this podcast, certainly you can have a debate about that if you like, but they definitely to this point on April 18th expected to have better results and they expected to play better. So we can start with that. I will say this. The one thing that that to me is, is concerning is that you have the young players on the ball club who are not playing at least up to their capability or better than they were last year. And that, for me, is a major red flag. I understand that, uh, you know, Starling Castro hasn't been as good as his back of the baseball card. Neither has Curtis Granderson. Neither has Neil Walker. Uh, neither, neither has Rosell Herrera for whatever he thought he was going to do. They already right. sent Peter O'Brien to the minor leagues. Uh, for the majority of the team they are not meeting the back of the baseball card so then you have to ask yourself this question are is the coaching staff is the hitting staff getting more out of the players than they Mm -hmm. what they have are they getting what they're supposed to get out of the players or are they getting less and I would say that they are getting less and that is an issue for me Right. I never expected this team to be the best offensive team in baseball. I never expected this team to be the 25th best team offensively in baseball. But if they're going to be last, I think that they have to get at the at least the bare minimum of what these players have done in the past. For the most part, they have not. Now, Prado has gotten off to a good start. Miguel Rojas, I think, is a very good player mm-hmm. and an underrated player. And I would say Alfaro's been okay. And Chad Wallach has been much better than what I expected on the offensive side. But that's been it. And, right. and I'm telling you, there's no possible way that you could have gone into this thing and the Marlins executives could have gone into this thing and said, on April 18th, let's not look at our record. Let's just look at our offensive numbers and say, Brian Anderson has taken a step back, which he has, and maybe that will change. He got hot for about a week there, and now he's not again. But he could be, I guess he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at our cornerstone offensive players, Brian Anderson, Lewis Brinson. Let's see where they're at. How are they doing? Okay, well, they're worse than last year. Well, that to me is, boom, unacceptable right there. That's a problem. That's a a major league development organizational problem, and I think that's kind of where I'm at in terms of opinion. I don't hire guys. I don't fire guys, and I tend to not do that both on social media and on podcasts like this but I definitely think that it is a fair question at this point is the major league baseball development staff that they have right now, are they succeeding with the hitters that they have on this team? Are they getting the minimum out of the players that they have on this team? And I think the answer is no, I do not think they're getting enough. You can't, you can't go back and put Neil Walker and Curtis Granderson in the batting cage and say, change things that you've done for the last 15 years. I get that. I understand that, but but with the young guys and with some other players, you at the very least have to get the numbers that they've put up in the past, and they're not. And I think that's a big, big issue as to why they've gotten off to the start that they have. And that's kind of the way that I see it as, as we hit the almost month point of the season. All right,
1: well, and we mentioned before, they're off to almost their worst start ever. Their worst season ever, they only had 54 wins in 1998. They're not on pace for that. Um, you, you know, you mentioned the young guys pregame, Mattingly in not playing Lewis Brinson, not starting Lewis Brinson. Mentioned that you know his work in the cage has been great. You know it's just not translating to the field. But after the game, Mat- Mattingly gave what was really kind of a somber press conference. Um, in talking after the game, you know you've covered him for you know four years now. With Mattingly, I mean, what are you seeing from him? And. What can Mattingly be doing with the roster that he's been presented that, that could be different to get the most out of him, like you mentioned? What could be different right now?
0: Yeah, probably not a lot. And and I really do feel for him because he was faced with the task of of once they traded uh, Real Muto and and they really did not for the most part replace Bohr and Dietrich. Those players, Bohr and Dietrich, by the way, are not all star players, but those were major league baseball uh, bats that they had in the lineup and younger bats that were not great defensive players at all, but, but they could hit a little bit. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really replace those players. They thought they did, but they really did not. And so the way that I look at it is this people want Don Mattingly to yell and scream and, and make all these crazy changes and, and make some rash decisions, but that's just not who he is. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to cover the team at, kind of at my leisure, honestly, and, and mm-hmm. not even on a daily basis. I'm there probably as much as I can. I don't I don't know if I can put a number on it, but out of every three games they play, I'm there once or twice, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the other day, uh, you, the, the one great thing about Mattingly, like some managers also in baseball, not all, is that when they're done speaking to the media before the game and, and people who are listening to this, you guys have the opportunity to see what is on camera. All the cameras get shut off. Right. And then every once in a while uh, and now less than it's been before, is that what Donnie will do is still sit there and talk for a while and everyone will will kind of get some of you know their information on in a more off the record setting. It was something that Jack McKeon would do for an hour at a time. I don't even know how Jack McKeon had time to manage. He would just sit there for an hour and talk mm-hmm. to everyone. And the other day, I thought that Donnie said something that was really important. And I feel comfortable saying this here on the podcast because I know that he wouldn't mind it, and it was just basically me there with uh, Craig Minervini, and that was it, but it was me more or less talking to him, mm-hmm. was that he said that there, as a leader and as, and as someone that, that kids are going to look up to, there's a number of different ways that you can handle this situation, and the way that he was always taught was kind of following in his father's footsteps, and his father was always very, very quiet. He was always very reserved and he said that look when when my dad got mad he would let me know about it but otherwise it was always quiet confidence and showing and showing your young players that you were a leader but leading by example and leading by i suppose in this case he didn't say this but by not throwing players specifically under the bus mm-hmm. and i it really kind of caught me there for a minute because it does make sense everything that he's done to this point there's very little Ozzie Guillen in him you know there's very little Lou Piniella in him where after a game he's going to yell and he's going to scream and he's going to start throwing guys and mentioning players by name and throwing them under the bus so I don't think that honestly his demeanor has changed all that much from when they win 15 to 2 and when they lose 15 to 2 this is kind of gonna be who he is and although this is the worst stretch of baseball that he has seen as manager of the marlins he's still kind of that same guy now whether you like that or you don't like it eh, look that that's up to that's beauty is in the eye of the beholder there <sighs> yeah, you know, there's nothing that that i can say or do but i just thought that i would share that story for those of you who are watching these post-game talks and these pre-game talks and are you know i'm getting messages why isn't he doing this or why does he right. say this why is that? it's just not who this man is he is a He is someone that has learned from his father in the past and has chosen to use that as a manager on the field. And by the way, I can appreciate that. Uh, But at the same time, he is going to have to make some tough decisions. He is on the last year of his contract. There is no question that he knows that and everybody else knows that. It is hard at this point to envision him being the manager of the Marlins in 2020 unless they – play a lot better and that's just the truth and I would say that to him and I would say that to anybody else it's hard to survive losing 95 games 100 games It's almost impossible but I think as a kind of last resort we're not quite there 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 would probably need to be some very different ways of using the lineup and really trying to get the best out of his players and for him it would have to be making some tough decisions Mike Rulos is his hitting coach uh, you know, Tim Wallach is his bench coach, and, and these are guys that he knows and he's been with for a long time. But inevitably, he may have to make some decisions with, with his own staff. I, I mean, or, I mean, if you're getting nothing out of your players, at some point, someone is going to have to be accountable. That's the big word the Marlins like to use is accountable. And and how ha- has this coaching staff been accountable to this point? Right. All they've done is basically just, you know, shift the chess pieces in, di- in different ways and see if it'll work. And it hasn't worked. So. I I like him very much. I don't think that this is his fault. The roster that he has was given to him, but at the same time, I, I do think without yelling and screaming, he's going to have to really have some heart to heart with his staff and also with the players changing some things around, because this can't be like this for six months. It just can't. Right. Well, and it, it, it feels
1: like it's about just battling through at bats. And that's the word that Miguel Rojas used yesterday, actually is just coming out and fighting, but, with Mattingly, he is a guy that remains pretty even keel. And that's something that we do often look for to give him some credit. It's something we often look for in our players is not to get too high and not to get too low, regardless of the stakes. That's something that's good to preach to younger players. And, and in my mind, that's a good thing, but you know, he even mentioned yesterday, he only, you know, you have a team meeting after moments like that, you have four or five of them a year and you wonder what specifically the message is there, but That being said, there's only so much that could be done with the roster that's been out there. I mean, the guys that that were rolled out as your first four hitters on opening day, no one's hitting higher than 222 of that group between Brian Anderson and Starlin Castro and Neil Walker and Lewis Brinson. With the roster makeup, Craig, I mean, what would you do to possibly shake things up here and, and maybe give Mattingly and the coaching staff maybe a little bit better of a fighting chance with the roster that's constructed that they're putting out on the field every day.
0: Right. Well, falling on the sword is the term that's used. The first chip to fall on the sword was Peter O'Brien. So he, he was not culpable for this. They put him in a bad spot, but they decided to send him down. That was the first move that they made. And they brought up Austin Dean and Dean had a really great first game. And then since then, it's been a little bit of a struggle for him. There's no question about that. So, but that was the first move that was made. The second move now has been the call-up of Isaac Galloway. And wacky enough, they put him in the leadoff spot, mm-hmm. Isaac Galloway. And that's not going to work either. So the way that I, the, what, what, what I would do initially is now I would start to look at this and say, OK, we have no shot of being a good team. We have no shot of even being a 500 team regardless as to how ownership or how the executives on the teams feel. It's not happening. Okay. This is not going to all of a sudden get better. There was some hope maybe at the beginning of the season that they would be better than last year. That does not appear to be the case. It is still possible. They still could win 60 some odd games. It's, It's not out of the realm of possibility, but they have to come to grips with who they are. So that being said, outside of this pitching that is perfectly fine, by the way, and right. can pitch like this all season long, and they could lose 4 nothing and 3-1 to all year long, and they keep developing these pitchers, this is great, is they have to reshift and refocus specifically to me on the young players on the team. And really, the first three young players on the team that I would mention would be Brinson, Anderson, and now Jorge Alfaro, who is going to be an important piece, I think, of this team moving forward, too. Mm-hmm. Would I treat it like spring training for the next two weeks? Ah, Maybe that's going a little bit too far, but they are doing no favors. Don Mattingly, by the way, is doing no favors whatsoever batting Lewis Brinson eighth in this lineup. It is not going mm-hmm. to work. It will never work. There are no players in Major League Baseball that all of a sudden find their development batting in front of the pitcher. It is not going to happen. He is never going to see anything good to hit. And yet I'm still seeing times where, where teams are walking and, and pitching around Wallach to get to Brinson. It has been, it has been a disappointment as anything that I've seen on this team so far. Now, I have also asked questions and I have asked specifically: will Lewis Brinson still be on this team batting 180, batting 190 for the whole season? And I was told emphatically, no, that is not going to happen. They are not going to ride this into the ground. I don't know, Jeremy. If this is going to be like Monday of this week where he gets sent down, I don't know. It will if it will be next Thursday. I don't know if it will be when Garrett Cooper comes back in a couple of weeks because he's getting right. he's going to get close again. But unless you see something significant, I would say in the next week or two, my guess would be is that Brinson is back uh, in the minor leagues with his uh, former hitting coach. They have him in AAA. Would be a guess, or even going to Jacksonville somewhere. Where he can redevelop and work on, on, uh, on what he does well. I would bat Brinson leadoff. I would put Brinson leadoff every single day for the next two weeks, treat it like spring training, get him the most at-bats he possibly can, and, and just see what happens. And if people are saying, oh, you're crazy, it's a terrible way to put him in there. Well, what has worked so far? The answer is nothing. Right. Eighth, seventh, sixth, second, fourth. They've moved him all around the lineup. He's getting days off. Now he's pinch hitting. It is I don't want to use the word mismanagement because inevitably this does fall on the player and the player has to succeed and he has not. But I would uh use the term of of like backfield spring training at this point and this weekend against Washington, it probably won't happen. And next week when they go on the road, I would I would definitely lead off Lewis Brinson, get him as many at bats as possible for the next seven days, see if this can change as to what he's doing. And if it's another one for 20, okay, fine. Well, look, they've done everything possible. They gave him a full year in the big leagues. Now they've given him all of April. And then next week, I would say it's time to uh, send him down. Beyond that, they'll have to figure out a way to get Brian Anderson back going again. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you can tell anything to Starlin Castro at this point of his career. You know who he is. And he's going to have good moments. He's going to have bad moments. Uh, I still think he's a very good player. They need to get him going. And I would keep him where he is. And as far as the veterans on the team, Neil Walker, Curtis Granderson, they're great leaders, no doubt, but they're at the stage of their career where it's either the end of the line or it's close to the end of the line, and there's not much to add in terms of that. So uh, the hope is is that uh, Brinson gets more at-bats, looks a little bit better. Right. If that doesn't work, Garrett Cooper, Jeremy, will be back in a couple of weeks. I'd put him in right field. I'd play Garrett Cooper in right field every single day for the rest of the year, by the way, and, and just see what you got. Nothing to lose at that point. I play uh, Isaac Galloway for the time being. If they need a center fielder, fine. They have no one in the minor leagues, Jeremy. They have no one left. Maybe that's part of this with Brinson. They have no one to bring up. I suggested they sign Austin Jackson, play him every day in center field. Maybe he gives you some offense. He definitely gives you some defense. He's only 32 years old. He's still on the couch. I don't know if that's an option or not, but he, he would be interested. But either way, Austin Jackson would be my center fielder. If they decide not to sign a free agent right now, right. fine. Play Galloway. Let him play great defense for the rest of the season play Dean in left field uh, against lefties and some righties until they trade Granderson, play Granderson, the other part of that, use that platoon that way. Exactly. Those are the four outfielders that I would have. And then the rest of it just kind of, you know, speaks for itself at this point, having Walker at first is fine with Prado. And you know, what's at second, you have Rojas short, you have Brian Anderson third. But if there's not going to be any approach with this coaching staff in terms of the hitting, and they're just going to keep uh, tinkering with the lineup, this is not going to change at all there there needs to be another hitting voice of some kind to get them better because whatever has happened happened look i don't know maybe maybe these these hitting guys are getting to the park at noon and i'm not seeing it i'm not there at noon Hmm. when when i'm walking by back and forth before they put the media availability at three o'clock and the Dex club which i'm walking back and forth i hear them hitting in the cage maybe maybe there, there are things going on that i don't see but the results are in. It's not working. It has right. to be changed. These players are not walking. They're not getting on base. They're they're still swinging at two and O's, three and O's. Look, Don Mattingly could say yeah. he could say whatever he wants about J T Riddle, and he's just not playing his approach. This is why he's in the minors. It's not mm-hmm. because they want to get him playing time. And respect to Don Mattingly on that. I see his approach. I've taken video of it. 2-0, 3-0, 2-0, 2-1, swing, swing, swing. He hasn't walked once all season mm-hmm. long. They want him to get on base. <laughs> So, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of positive with that, but those are at least the initial things that I would do. But it'll be interesting to see, Jeremy, because I do think that the end is coming for Brinson unless he turns it around. I would guess end of April. Uh, when Cooper comes back, I could see the move that they switch out. Cooper back and then uh, Brinson to the minors.
1: I just don't know how you salvage. Like you said, that's the part that, that's – Tough here is trying to salvage the value and trying to salvage the potential and the production that you saw coming from Brinson and, and really some of the other guys in this lineup. I think there was hope. I mean, I remember when we went into to spring training feeling like it was Riddle's job to lose at shortstop. That's sort of how that felt. And then he hit, I believe, 156. And like you talked about with all of these guys, it's approach. And so that's the thing that's that's sort of frustrating to watch thus far offensively. Um, are there any before? So, as you mentioned on Twitter yesterday, uh, Zach Gallen will be the interview that we have coming up right after right this. Uh, are there any last notes before we get to Gallen, who's really been, I mean, absolutely dominant at the AAA level as a starter for the Marlins thus far? So, a positive to look forward to. Are there any other notes with this roster, with anything else that you're seeing from this team before we do get to that interview?
0: Yeah, not really. I, I think that the most positive thing that you could say is that the starting pitching and even to a degree, the relief pitching on the Marlins has been a nice surprise. If you're looking for a silver lining and a reason to go to the game, a perfect example was Wednesday night's game, two hours, 20 minutes. Like yep. you are going to be in and out of there. You're not going to have to sit through these games like when they brought in Tozawa last year and they're down 3-1, then it's 7-1. Like that, that's not happening. I still feel like that's a major positive for the year. And I still have extreme confidence in all five of these starting pitchers, and most of their bullpen arms, and a lot of these young arms that are in the minor leagues, both at Jupiter Double A and even Triple A. They they really have assembled a number of arms. The only question is is are they gonna be are they going to trade a couple to get some offensive players in? Right. I, I don't, maybe next year. I I don't know the answer to that. So at this point where we're at for the next two weeks, if you are a Marlins fan, in my opinion, your focus should be. Aside for, because forget wins and losses now, you know, that's over. It probably should be uh, Brinson getting him right. Uh, Brian Anderson making sure that he's back to where he was last year. He was on the path about a week ago. It looked like that we was heading there. Now we've hit a little bit of a, a, a speed bump again, but he's a very important piece to get back. Arguably the only player on the team that would be even worth discussing an extension for with all these crazy mm-hmm. extensions that are going on in baseball. Like he would be the one. And then the third and most important thing I think at this point as we move forward is the draft is coming up in June and right, they need to hit on this huh. draft. They have they must come out of the first four or five rounds. We're getting ready to talk about the Dolphins draft here next week. They must draft offensive players in this draft that are going to help them in two years. They, after they take the best player, whoever they do in, in the first round, which is what right. they should do. Don't worry about, getting guys to the majors in the first round. But after that, Jeremy, rounds two, three, four, college bats, players that we're going <laughs> to see in two years or three at the big league level. Uh, look, a lot of nice young athletes they drafted last year that we'll see in three or four years. Uh-uh. Cannot do that oh, again. Yeah. No, right. no, no. I mean, not not next year, but two or three years, please, uh-huh. because there is nothing on the horizon beyond uh, high A. So mm-hmm. if this if this build is going to be now set for 2021, which is what they'll never tell you that. But that's kind of what the idea was. Boy, if you're planning on winning in 2021, you need to have guys that you draft in 2019 that are going to be ready in 2021. So, right. uh, you know, so I, I hate to say it, but there were a couple players that went that went above where the Marlins took in this past draft. That you're going to start to see is as a couple of the best players in all of minor league baseball that they had a chance to take and they didn't because they went with, uh, with younger players and maybe that'll work out. But mm-hmm. I, I will be very upset if they get out of round five this year without at least three or four high-end hitters, two of which should have been coming out of college, which we'll see in the future. Yeah, you talk about college bats. It just reminds you of
1: Peter Alonso when he got drafted. Or sorry, Pete Alonso as he goes by now. When he got drafted by the Mets, solid college bat. Look what he's doing at the major league level now after just a couple of years in the minors. So you can only hope to see guys like that sort of flourish in a draft with the Marlins. But uh, we will be back right after this message from the network, and we will be speaking with Zach Gallant of the AAA
2: New Orleans Baby Kings. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. But first, we've had a lot of inquiries about how you can contribute to the 5 Reasons Sports Network other than just giving us money, which we'll certainly take, or being a podcaster, and I have too many bad ones already. So here's (laughs) an idea if you want to get involved with us, and it goes beyond our new website, FiveReasonSports.com, We are looking for sales representatives. Why? Because we have a lot to sell. We sell ads on our podcasts. We sell ads on social media. We also are selling sponsorships and banner ads on our website. So we got a ton of inventory to sell. We are credentialed with all five teams down here. We're fully established, and we just want somebody who can go out into the community and sell that product, sell Miami sports, buy Miami for Miami to the South Florida community. So if you want to get involved, here's two ways that you can contact us. One is by going to Skolnick at FiveReasonSports.com, and the other way is going to Jorge, J-O-R-G-E, at Five reasons sports.com. Reach out one of those two ways, and we will get back in touch with you and tell you how you can help and how you can make money.
0: And on this episode of Swings and Missions, it's very rare that we would get to talk to a pitcher in the minor leagues who arguably is having the best start of any pitcher in all of the minor leagues. It really hasn't been incredible, and he just happens to be on the Miami Marlins. Zach Gallen so far, has made three starts for the New Orleans Baby Cakes, and check out these numbers, 18 and two-thirds innings, one earned run, no home runs, one walk, 25 strikeouts, and an ERA of .48, incredible start, and we bring in Zach Gallen to talk about that start, and just everything in baseball in general, Zach, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, well, uh, I, I do want to get into some past, and I know Jeremy has some fun questions for you for your past also, but let's let's just talk about the present right now because is this the best stretch of baseball that you have had in any kind of uniform, I'm guessing, since maybe you were either at North Carolina or even Little League or Big League? Because simply put, Zach, these numbers are eye-popping so far this year.
3: Uh, yeah, this is, you know, probably the best start that I, that I've had to a season that I can remember. Um, I've definitely had some stretches here or there, but yeah, this is probably the best start that I can remember in a long time.
0: What do you think you, would you attribute that to? Do you, is it the coaching? Is it, is it your uh, mixing of pitches? I know that you have an arsenal of pitches that I want to get to here in a minute, but why do you think so much success is happening right now?
3: Yeah, I think it's just a collection of things. Um, you know, had some pretty good outings in spring training. So I think, you know, confidence was huge. Um, I've had, you know, guys play unbelievable defense behind me and then, you know, I've had catchers call great games. So I think, you know, it's just a collection of those things.
0: Now I saw you pitch in the last game of spring training. I was sitting right behind home plate and you wowed me with that performance, but Zach, I'm also going to be honest with you. The year before, I'm wondering how you were feeling out of leaving spring training because that did not go well for you at that time. And in fact, uh, in terms of baseball's top prospects or even the Marlins top prospects after that spring training, I I think that most people had no clue what they would expect from you. So this is a completely different look for you. What would you attribute that to?
3: Yeah, you know, I think uh, the first spring training, I was kind of um, unsure what to expect. It was my first one. I just gotten traded, you know, like about Two months ago, so I was kind of, you know, trying to feel it out to what's going on, and I probably was worrying about, you know, things other than baseball. Um, but yeah, this, this year I came in, I kind of had an idea what to expect. Um, I was a lot more comfortable, and I think that played a huge part.
1: Yeah, and Zach, back in college, you went to UNC, uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and, and there's a long history of really good major league pitchers coming out of UNC. Just even in the last 10 years, it's Andrew Miller, Matt Harvey, Adam Warren, Daniel Bard, and you played at a really competitive level in ACC baseball. I'm wondering how that sort of set you up to have success now in the minor leagues playing at such a competitive level.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> every weekend, you know, you're playing those ACC opponents and, and you're facing, you know, top-of-the-draft talent and then guys that develop, you know, into being minor league, you know, prospects. So that's definitely huge, um, you know, when you play there and you can have some some sort of success. Um, it just gives you that confidence and that you can do it at the next level.
0: Now, a- after North Carolina, you end up being drafted in the third round by the St. Louis Cardinals – and ironically, in, in Jupiter, you're, you're basically right across the way, like 500 feet apart from each other. Uh, what was it like being drafted, and what was it like playing in the Cardinals organization?
3: You know, for me, it was, uh, it was a dream. Uh, I grew up a Cardinals fan. Um, Mark McGuire seemed to be on TV um, that summer of like 2000, 2001, when he was hitting 70 homers. Um, so for me, I just grew up a Cardinals fan. So it, it kind of worked out. Um, so, you know, I was fortunate for the 18 months that I was with them. Um, I learned some things and then, yeah, when I got traded, I just basically walked around the corner.
0: During that home run chase. Cause I remember it too. I was a little bit older than you a lot. Do you remember <laughs> that it was McGuire and Sosa that was, that were going back and forth and back and forth. And in fact, Zach, yep. that year, McGuire, uh, came to South Florida and hit a bunch of home runs in yep. the old uh, football stadium where, where he put, where the Marlins played. Were you rooting for Maguire against Sosa at that time? And, and how aware of you were you that those guys were going back and forth?
3: Oh, of course. I mean, obviously, I was probably only six or seven at the time. Um, so I don't know how much I was super invested in it. But, yeah, I was definitely pulling for him to, you know, come out on top of that race.
0: So you end up spending a short period of time with the Cardinals. By the way, Mark McGuire was, was with the Cardinals for a number of years. I had to, a, a good chance to talk to him in Jupiter for a number of years when he was there mm-hmm. before he went to the mm-hmm. Padres. But, Zach, you end up getting traded by the Cardinals to the Marlins in the Marcelo Zuna trade. So take me back to that moment that you found out that you were getting dealt. Did it come out of nowhere? Who was the one that called you on your behalf and told you that you would be changing uniforms?
3: Yeah, it was actually kind of a funny story. Um, so the Cardinals do, um, winter workouts, um, similar to probably a lot of teams. And I had just gone down there for the last, um, couple of days before they were wrapping up before Christmas came around. So I went down, I was down two or three days or whatever it was. And I had a flight out of West Palm on my way home, but I had a connector in Charlotte. We'd heard the rumors, um, you know, the trade was going to happen that day, and we were all speculating, you know, the guys that I was with in the airport, you know, who it was going to be. And I touched down, like, I'm, you know, probably no more than 100 feet off the ground in the airplane, and I didn't have my phone on airplane mode. And I get a call from my agent. I'm like, man, that's kind of weird. So I just let it go to voicemail. Um, I kind of had a feeling what it was about. Checked Twitter. You know, saw some of the tweets, called him back, and he said, hey, you know, I'm, I figured you're – your phone's probably blowing up right now. So I was actually in in West Palm at a Cardinals camp, and on my way home when I got traded. It was pretty nuts.
1: Since spring training, you brought it up before this spring training. You know, you had a lot of success, and especially toward the end. And now, I remember having a conversation with you at spring training before one of your last starts at home that you had just been stung by a bee, and all of a sudden your velocity was up. And now here we are. And you've thrown 18 and two-thirds innings, and you've only given up one run. So, my real question is, instead of calling you Spider-Man, like the nickname could be, can we start calling you Zach B-Man Gallon? Can we start getting that going? How do you feel about
3: it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably not my favorite nickname, but, you know, it is what it is. I guess it's it's kind of an honor to have a nickname. Um, but, yeah, no, it was, it was weird. I got stung in, like, the first inning uh uh-huh. um, you know, but if, if I go pitch like this, I'll get I'll get stung a hundred times over.
0: What 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 kind of nickname would you prefer? We we don't have to call you that. We can call you something
3: else. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter to me. You, you can't you can't ask for a nickname. They're they're earned. You know what I mean?
0: No, that's true. But on this big league Marlins team, Zach, let me explain to you how this works, okay? If if gotcha. if the manager Don Mattingly and you're gonna get a chance, hopefully to to pitch for him this season. But if the manager Don Mattingly likes you. He's very easy to figure out. He just adds an E to the end of your name. That's yep. it. Okay? So here's here's how it works. Like, Jose Ureña is Jose, Chad Wallach is Wally. Um, basically, all the players have an uh, – an, Brian Anderson is Andy. Uh, so you are going to be Galley. When you come up, I can tell you already in advance before they even tell you, he oh. just adds the e to the or the i e or the y to the end, and that's it. And if he doesn't like you, you get no nickname. He just calls you by his first name. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, that works for me. So then we'll have. I'm assuming Isaac's uh galley too. So then we'll he have two, we galley. have two
0: galleys. You're right. Yeah, yeah, we'll have two. But you know what, Nick Anderson, the pitcher, he's Andy too. I think probably. Uh, you know what? I don't even know. If true. Is. Them, we're going to be it's very grandy right grand we're going to be very confusing when you come up maybe he'll call you Zachy. i don't think you want that not...
3: <laughs> i think he'd take me man i hope it's galley but either way it,
0: you're sick you're going back to being six years old if he calls you Zachy. i'm sure that's what you <laughs> right your, your parents called you uh zach so at this point let's let's talk about the pitching arsenal here for a minute because like everybody in this organization it seems and, and really in baseball it seems like a devastating change-up is always part of the equation. And I know that your cutter is a big part of of what you're trying to do. So let's talk about your plus pitches so far and which of your pitches uh, have translated in 2019. Because, again, as we've talked about the numbers that you have so far, let's be honest uh, if you did this all season, you'll be the pitcher of the year in the minor leagues. But there's got to be some pitch or two pitches that have really been working more than others for you. Uh,
3: Yeah, um, I'd probably say my changeup. I haven't thrown it a ton. But we picked the right spot to throw it, and I think we've utilized it really well. Um, That was my pitch growing up. So, for me, it was just kind of getting back into throwing it. I got away from it when I was in college. So, you know, just getting that feel back, uh, using it a lot last year. And I felt, you know, really comfortable with it. And for me, losing my cutter last year, you know, struggling to find a feel for it actually helped out my other pitches because I really had to learn how to use those other pitches in, in spots where I would, you know, tend to shy away from them. So, you know, I feel like I've used all all four pitches pretty well, but my changeup probably has been, you know, the factor that's helped me out the most.
1: Well, you know, when you start throwing that changeup over again, you know, how does that affect the rest of your approach? So, you know, you said you've now focused more on your changeup, you know, not to give away all the the secrets of the trade, but is that sort of working backwards and starting with the changeup and then being able to sit guys down with the fastball that you've now gotten up to 96, 97 occasionally? Or is it using that sort of as the strikeout pitch?
3: Um, I think it just depends on the hitter. Um, you know, I, I tend to just uh, read a bat, read swings. Um, but the biggest thing for me is that it's probably, you know, anytime you're in a fastball count, it's you can go to that changeup. It's mm. not something the guy's looking for, especially right-handed hitters. So, you know, for me, it's it just gets them off my fastball for you know when I maybe need to go back to that
0: at this point Zach you you've made three starts in New Orleans and and you obviously are following what the big league club is doing and we spent a good deal of the start of this podcast discussing that I you're part of this organization so while you are pitching great you are clearly seeing the big league team struggle like they are and I'm sure that you're in contact with some of these guys, Isaac Galloway and, and Austin Dean, they're now in the big leagues. And other players, of course, who you've played with are in the big leagues, too. What has been your impression from afar? The pitching has been great, but it's been a struggle to score some runs.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, anytime you're at a level like that and you, you face the pitch that they're facing up there, it's tough to score runs. I mean, we, we go through some funks here in A as well. Um, but yeah, you know, they said, you know, we're just having trouble pushing runs across the plate and, uh, but guys are pitching well. So at least, you know, one of the two is better than none of the two.
0: It's also inevitable, Zach, that at some point this season, 2019, I would guess, I know that you won't guess, but I would guess that you will at some point make your major league debut. That is clearly the hope for you. Have you discussed that with your family at all? And what would that moment feel like for you knowing that you get the call and make your first start?
3: Yeah, it's definitely something that we talk about. Um, but I try not to consume myself um, with stuff like that. You know, I know it's it's the goal that I've been working for, you know, ever since I was a little kid. But at the same time, like, you know, I just have to be where my, where my feet are here in New Orleans. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that'll be a, definitely a very emotional moment um, when it happens. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Okay, so here's my last message for you, okay? And I want to be very clear on this. I know that you're sitting there in in AAA. We're talking a lot about nicknames. And there is a player on your team that does not have the nickname in the big leagues. And there's a reason for that. His name is Brian Holiday. So I want you to tell him that I said that I was trying to stick it to him here on this podcast. And the next time he comes up, I'm going to give him his own nickname, which would be Fantasy Football Runner Up in 2008. (laughs) Not Winner, Runner Up. OK, so you let him know that and that and that's what he can in players weekend. I want to see Holiday back in the big leagues. I want to see him up, let him know. And I want him to have that on the back of his jersey for players weekend. Runner up fantasy football. He didn't win. Of course,
3: I, you know, eight, I hope the whole I hope the whole thing fits on the back.
0: It's a long one, Zach. It is a long one. I will give you that. But we'll we'll figure out a way to make that happen. But in, in all seriousness, uh, congratulations on all the success that you've had. And whether it's the beast thing or the change in pitches or whatever it is, there's no doubt that a lot of people are taking notice with you here in South Florida and what you possibly could be. So keep it up. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, and we personally look forward to seeing you here in South Florida at some point, hopefully this summer. Okay.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that.